Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Discipleship dyslexia. All right, let me, let me uh, start it by saying this. There, there was a young lady, I, I, I'm going to butcher her name. She's 28 years old. She lives up in, near Massachusetts. Her name was uh, Bohana Danlevic. Um, that's the best I can do. Here's the condition she has. She sees everything upside down. So, so this is what happens. Uh, there's this abnormal connection in her brain that causes her to process images completely upside down. So what happens is uh, she goes home, and if she's working on the computer, her computer screen has to be turned upside down, and her keyboard has to be turned upside down for her to use it. While her family is watching a regular TV, she watches the same program on a second monitor turned upside down. Can you imagine? She said this. She said, it may look incredible to other people, to, but to me it's completely normal. She said, I was born this way. It's just the way I see the world. Uh, and so she's been to doctors and the, the neurological experts at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and Harvard University have come back with this diagnosis. And they say she is suffering from a condition called spatial orientation phenomenon. That's a mouthful. She sees everything upside down. Can you imagine going through life seeing everything, driving a car, seeing everything upside down, right? Uh, so so that, that's one condition. There's another condition that we're more familiar with. It's called um, dyslexia. So uh, she sees everything upside down, but dyslexia is a condition. It's not a disease. I recognize that it is a condition where you see everything backwards, Right When you try to read, the words shift backwards, and it's very difficult to deal with, and, and, and so it's hard to go through life trying to learn, and people have to learn how to read like that and, and to deal with life. I want to submit to you this morning that these natural phenomenons, these natural conditions, whether it's the weird one that sees everything upside down or the more common one where you see things backwards, uh, in the natural, there are also diseases there's a disease that is very similar in the supernatural. Okay, so, so I, wanna, I, I want you to understand that I am convinced that even in this body, not just because uh, we can preach about all the other Christians in the world and just let it go past us, right? I want to talk about us, all right? Uh, uh, there's an old country song that says, I just want to talk about me. I just want to talk about us. All right, we're just going to talk about us today, all right? Because I'm convinced that most of us in this room, and I think I could prove it, but I didn't want to put anybody on the spot. I almost did, just to make a point. I almost brought a whiteboard in here, and I was going to let you write some things down to prove that most of us suffer from discipleship dyslexia. So, so let me explain. Jesus made it very clear why he came to this planet. There should be no... Uh, no way that we don't understand why Jesus came. I recognize that typically what happens is we get focused on how he came because we like Christmas, right? But, 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 and it's an incredible story and it is important how he came because it separates him from everybody else that claims to be God. It does. It is important why he came, how he came. But this morning I want us to put our attention on why. 
Why did he come? Why did he leave heaven? Why did he leave eternity and come? Well, he makes it very clear. He puts it in black and white. Well, red. He puts it in red. It's in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He says this, that I came to seek and save the lost. I mean, you can't get much more blunt than that. And then he repeats it in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, when he says it like this. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not, I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners. That's the why. The why in Jesus' life drove his everyday existence. That's why for, from the moment that he breaks on the scene and he, he, he announces that I've come to find those that are lost, that's why he would go to unexpected and even unaccepted places to, to fulfill the mandate on his life. That's what drove him to go to religious leaders' homes and find the lost inside their house. That's what led him into the streets to find an adulterous woman that's been thrown away and, and threatened with death and rescue her. That's why he would go out of his way to a well that he wasn't supposed to be at, talking to a lady he wasn't supposed to talk to. He was constantly and consistently trying to fulfill the mandate on his life, which was to find and to save that and those which were lost. That's what caused him ultimately to carry the weight of a cross to a hill and die, even though he was perfect and he was sinless and he was innocent. All because... He understood the why. He knew why he was here. So Jesus had this mission in life, but Jesus didn't just keep him, his mission to himself. He shared the same mission that his father had sent him on with his disciples. I want to make a statement this morning that you need to hear this morning. You need to understand that if you sit in this room and you call yourself a follower of Christ, that you, this statement that I'm about to make, it, 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 is, it, it fits for you too. Jesus did not just share his presence with his disciples. He shared his purpose yeah. with his disciples. So, so uh, Jesus uh, calls his disciples to, to follow. It, it's, uh, it's, it's uncanny, isn't it, isn't it hard? Uh, this, this blows my mind, but it shouldn't. Jesus actually expected his disciples to do what he did. He expected his disciples to disciple. So, so he calls his followers to engage in the same calling. We find it in, Mar uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. He says this, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So, so the followers are expected to participate in the purpose of the one they follow. Because if I ask you this morning, who do you follow? 99% of you would be bold enough probably to say, I follow Jesus. Then if we follow Jesus according to the way he lived his life, then we are expected to participate in the mission of the one that we follow. 
So, 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 so in other words, Jesus expects his disciples, disciple, uh, he expects, uh, he, he, he does not expect disciples to gain access uh, into, into this relationship with the Father and then just sit down and do nothing. He does not allow us this, this concept, and I don't know why it's invaded the American church, but it has, that once we get to, into relationship with Jesus, then our only mandate in our life is to come and to sit and to soak and to sour. He doesn't allow that. He doesn't expect us to sit around and be nostalgic about his ministry and his life on the planet. He does not allow us to come to this conclusion that if we're saved, everything is okay and it's okay if it's just us four and no more. He expects disciples to disciple. So Jesus, being a great leader, doesn't just expect his followers to fulfill his call without giving some explanation and some training on how to fulfill this call. Because it would be, it would be uh, kind of difficult to, for us if, if Jesus told us to make disciples but didn't teach us how to do it. That's not even fair. That's not fair for you. It wouldn't be fair for you as a parent. Hey, if you, if you look at your kids and say, I need you to do, I don't know, mow the yard, they're, they're, they're suddenly turned 12 years old and they're strong enough to push a mower, but you've never actually shown them or trained them how to mow. Just, just let them go. Just give them the keys to the riding lawnmower and say, go do it. Good luck with that. Your yard would like be a mess. They would they would probably mow your car, mow your shrubs, mow, right? So a good leader explains and trains, correct? So Jesus does that. I want to show you the explanation and the training that Jesus gives his disciples. It's found in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. It's where we're going to spend our time for just a few moments this morning. Listen to what he says. He says, later the master selected 70 and sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he intended to go. He gave them this charge. What a huge harvest and how few the harvest hands. So on your knees, ask the God of harvest to send harvest hands on your way, but be careful, this is hazardous work. You're like lambs in a wolf pack. Travel light, comb and toothbrush, and no extra luggage. Uh, One version says don't even take your purse. Men, we need to talk. Okay, all right, so, so don't take any extra luggage, don't loiter and make small talk with everyone you meet along the way. When you enter a home, greet the family peace. If your greeting is received, then it is a good place to, uh, to stay, but if you're not received, take it back and get out. Don't impose yourself. Stay at one home, taking your meals there, for a worker deserves three square meals. Don't move from house to house looking for the best cook in town. When you enter a town and are received, eat what they set before you. Heal anyone who is sick and tell them God's kingdom is right on your doorstep. Or in one version it says this, then preach the gospel. So very specific instructions on how you are to carry out the mission, and it is th- at this point that I want to say to you that most of us are now infected with an RTD, a religiously transmitted disease, because we get saved and oftentimes we even begin to get trained in how to do evangelism or discipleship, but because we are infected with discipleship dyslexia, we begin to revise and see things on how to do this differently than what Jesus did it or told us to do it. And so now we go through this occasion 
where we are called, we know we're called to do this. I mean, in, in Matthew chapter 28 and Mark chapter 16, Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. So we know we're called to do this, right? Okay, you worried me for a second. At least two of you know we're all called to do this, right? Okay, so, so we, get, we get this calling and then we want to revise how to do it. And then we look around and Jesus has said that the harvest is plentiful, the harvest is ripe, and we don't see the harvest being brought in and we want to blame everybody except for the people doing it wrong. Okay, so what I want us to do is I want us to look at Jesus' plan, and this is about what I started to do. I put, almost put a, a whiteboard up here and had you take the four steps of Jesus' plan for discipleship and put them in the board on the order that we want to do them because we do them backwards. Okay, so let me just real briefly, I just want to list them for you. Here's the first thing Jesus says. This is how you do effective evangelism and make disciples. Here it is. This was the plan he gave. Are you ready for this? This is like profound. Are you ready? Find a friend. Step one. Find a friend. Go into a city. Greet someone. If they receive your greeting, then based on that, you can move to the second step. But the very first step is to go into an environment and to find a friend. Someone that will accept you. Find a man of peace and befriend him. Could it be that the reason that God is placing people in your life is more than just so they can hang out with you? Maybe the reason you've hit it off the way you hit it off is because God has placed them in your life as part of a plan. And they are more than just an, uh, an acquaintance and they're more than just somebody to hang out with at the mall. They, they are, in fact, an assignment for you. See, perhaps the person you thought was your answer for your loneliness was really, it was really more about you being the, their answer to being lost. Jesus says, go and find a friend. Could it be that the person that you have found, that, that, that quick favor that you experience with them, the ability to get along with them, the, it's just like weird. It's like moth to a flame. You walk into a new job and nobody else will have anything to do with you but one person, and that person is like your long-lost friends. Could it possibly be that God sent you to the new place of employment for that person to make a friend with them so that you could start them on a path towards discipleship? we got to change the way we think because we say he orders our steps, but then we don't act like he does. So, so see, Jesus says, go and make a friend so that you will be positioned to disciple them. Part two, step two, because, again, we get it all backwards. Number one, find a friend. This is really profound. Two, build relationship. Okay, so... It says, in that same passage, it says, once they accept your greeting of peace, you begin to eat meals with them. And then it says, don't move around. Stay there. Get, get three meals a day. He's not doing that because he's trying to make the disciples beggars dependent on somebody else. This is more about consistency. 
This, this is more about building relationship. This is about, about, about uh, longevity. This is about moving beyond surface-level discussions. The only way that that happens, the reason it doesn't happen, is because we won't let our guard down enough to build relationships. And Jesus says that the, the, the process that we should follow is we should find a friend and then we should, we should begin to build a relationship with them and gain entrance into their life and break through their shell and let them break through our shell and don't move around, hone in on them, spend time with them, dialogue with them, share your heart, listen to their heart, and in the process they become reachable. Because then part three... You can only do part three or step three if you've done step two. Because step three is this, meet a need. Jesus says that after you've spent time with them, that you are now accurately, you are able to accurately diagnose and to recognize the needs of their life. The only way that you know that Pastor Steve has a need is if you spend time with Pastor Steve. The only way I would ever know that you have a need in your life, the reason that some of you come into church week after week and you don't feel like people meet your need is because nobody knows your need. It only comes as we spend time together. And Jesus says that you should go there, build a relationship, and then he says, heal the sick recognize their need. My question to you this morning is how many of us are even aware that there are needs around us? Because we haven't spent any time with anybody, we don't even know there are needs. Because we take, because, it is because that we have taken time to establish a relationship that people are willing to expose and reveal the needs of their life. That's the only way. Now there are some people that will put their needs on Facebook all the time. But they've got issues. Those, the, the average person, the rest of us in the room, are not bold enough to do that. It takes time. So I wonder if we become so consumed with our own plight that we don't even take account for or recognize the needs of people around us. We just come to get ours. Too often we don't see ourselves as the one who was sent to meet the needs. Can I tell you this morning that the reason that the Holy Spirit has anointed you and given you gifts and given you authority and given you power is not so that we can have good services. The reason he anoints us and gives us authority and gives us gifts and gives us power is so that we can have good service. So that we can meet the needs of the people around us. Listen, you are anointed for those that are in agony. You have been trained for those that are traumatized. You have been mobilized for those that are, those that are in mourning. The reason that God has given you and blessed you and delivered you and set you free and listens to you when you call on his name is not so that you can come to church on Sunday morning and have a good service. It's so that you can recognize the needs of the people that you've built relationship with and meet it. Meet it. So then the last one, Jesus says, you find a friend, build a relationship, meet a need. Now listen to this. Then you preach the gospel. Yes. Yes. Then you preach the gospel. Jesus is saying that the most effective way to be heard is to preach after the other three have already been done. 
Because it is then that we discover that people want to listen. But we have discipleship dyslexia. So what we want to do is we want to do it backwards. We think we can make disciples in the exact opposite order. We want to preach the gospel before we've ever met a need, before we've built a relationship, before we've found a friend, and what we discover is that people are unwilling to listen to what we've got to say because it doesn't matter how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? And so here we are, we're all got, we've all been trained uh, to do all this evangelism, knock on the door, ask them if they're dying and going to hell. But you notice that doesn't go very well? If you were to die tonight, like let me paint the picture for you. If you got in your car right now and died the most horrific, uh, tra- there was a tragic accident, like the steering wheel came through the dash and, and just, we, we want to paint it, it's so graphic, and, and would you die and go to hell? Man, I don't want to listen to you. I don't even know you. We do it backwards. Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, so why aren't we seeing multitudes saved and brought into the kingdom? Could it be simply because we're doing it wrong? So let's get real practical. What does discipleship dyslexia look like for us at Passion? All right, let's get really practical for us. Because I can't fix everybody else, but we got to fix us. All right? We got to get cured of this disease right now. So, what does this look like practically when we're operating in discipleship dyslexia? Practically, what does it look like? It looks like this. After service today, you're going to get five Easter tickets. This is what dis- discipleship dyslexia looks like. So, we'll take those five tickets and we'll go to lunch and we'll eat at a restaurant. And we'll under-tip the waitress, because that's what Christians do. (laughs) And then we'll lay a ticket on the table and hope that she would want to come and be a part of what we're doing here. And then we're surprised when it doesn't work. Or we'll go to work, and we'll take one of those tickets, and we'll go to the locker of a coworker that we've never talked to and never had any dealings with at all, And we'll slide it in their locker and then begin to pray, Oh, Jesus, convict them and cause them to come to our church for Easter. (laughs) And they're like, man, this is junk mail. Or we'll go somewhere and put it on the bulletin board. And just hope, man, somebody passing by, when they they realized they weren't looking for a dog walker and a house cleaner, and they weren't wanting to buy a boat, and they didn't need to buy, uh, get, get, get your hair back, all of a sudden they come down the bottom, oh, Easter at Passion, God help me, I've been waiting to see this thing, I've been waiting all, then we wonder why it doesn't work. Or worse, we'll spend thousands of dollars, board a plane, go across the planet, spend two weeks talking to people that we can't even communicate with effectively that we will never see again, pat ourselves on the back, board a plane, come home, pull into our driveway and refuse to disciple the people that we've been living next to for 20 years that we know everything about and we won't even talk to them and say, hey, would you come to Easter a service with me and let me... That's what it looks like. 
That's discipleship dyslexia. We, we, we've got to get cured of this. We've got to go back to the formula that Jesus gave us and do it exactly as Jesus told us to do it. Make a friend. Build a relationship. Meet a need. And then preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. So my question for you this morning is this. This is, this is who are your friends Who do you know that you could call at 3 a.m. in the morning because you had a flat tire out on 39th Expressway and didn't know how to get home? Who would you call? And if that person doesn't know Jesus, if you're that kind of friend, then you have entrance into their life. And they're a candidate for discipleship. See, I, I know we're suffering from discipleship dyslexia because this is how the conversation goes. When I begin to talk about discipleship, uh, we'll say stuff like this. I, I can't win anybody because I'm too shy. That's not my gift. Heard that one? I, I'm too timid. I can't go knock on doors. I don't even want you to go knock on doors of people you don't know. This, what I, the, the pattern that Jesus sets for us does away with any excuse as to why we aren't gifted or we don't have the skills necessary to do evangelism and to, and to, to, to make disciples because he breaks it down. He's talking about us doing this with people we already know that we've spent time with. It should be the people that you are friends with first, people you have the ability to share life with. It should be, be a natural part of life. I don't know if the video that I want to play is going to play. Is it going to play, Catherine? Let's see if it'll play. I want you to watch this commercial. Watch this. Please work because this is pretty good. Is it ironic to you that a car dealership understands the plan better than we do? They say, make a friend, sell a car. In that order. And what I am saying to you this morning is that we can have the most incredible Easter ever known to passion and see more people give their heart and life to Jesus if you will follow the pattern. But if you continue to operate in discipleship dyslexia, we will see nobody saved. And the reason is, is we are trying to preach before we reach. And I want to encourage you to help me over the course of the next four weeks to follow the pattern and reach people so that when they come to be a part of our Easter, then we can preach the good news and they will go, that was for me. So, so there, there's a multiplicity of reasons and excuses as to why we're here, but those reasons don't have to become excuses for staying here. So, so we can make up our minds and follow the pattern and see great impact. And so this is what we're going to do. On your, on your chair, when you came in, there, were one, there was one of these cards. We call these cards prayer and invite cards. We've done this a couple times. We did it uh, last Easter. We've done it at Christmas. 
We're going to do it again. I want you to get a pen real quick. Grab a pen. Because this is going to show you whether you have discipleship dyslexia or not. Because the first time we did this, about 50% of us couldn't even write down anybody that we knew that didn't know Jesus. Which is scary. And then when we did it at Christmas, you did a little bit better. I think, I think you figured out I was going to make you do it. And so you went out and started thinking about people, all right? This is what I'm asking you to do this morning. I, I'm going to pray for you here in just a second. But I, what I'm going to ask you to do is I want you to think about the people in your life that are your friends that don't know Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to do more than just pray for them. I want you to invite them. now. Here, but we're going to get real specific here because we've got to break through this RTD, all right? Here we are. I want you to ask them to do one of three things. There will be one of three reasons for them to come on Easter. Are you ready? I'm going to give them to you so you know what to ask. I want you to say to them, would you please come with me to Easter? To, to do, you figure out which one it will pull on them. I either want you to come see me. I want you to come sit with me. Or I want you to come serve with me. I'm going to say that again because I want you to get this. This is the method that we use. Because you know some people that don't know Jesus that if you ask them, hey, would you come see me? We haven't gotten to spend any time. It's been, we've been so busy the last couple of weeks. I mean, we got all this crazy stuff going on. It's spring. Everybody's busy. we got ball games. we got all these parties to go to. we got life. I mean, it's just busy. But I need to spend some time with you. And I know that most of the time on Easter, you're by yourself. So would you come to Passion Church and come see me? And more than that, would you come and sit with me? I don't expect you to walk into a place where you don't know anybody. I will make plans that day. I will save you a seat right next to me. I will stay by you the whole time. They're, they won't scare you. They're good people. They, they won't do crazy stuff. They're, like there are no snakes they are going to pull out during service. They're not going to, nobody's going to come by and slap you in the forehead just to knock you down. None of that. We just want you to, would you just come and sit with me? It's going to be powerful. Will you come and sit with me? Or maybe you're scheduled to serve that day in kids or as an usher or a greeter. If you're in kids, you'll need to come see me before you do this. But if you're a greeter or you're an usher or maybe you're in the parking lot that day, maybe you're scheduled to drive the train, whatever, you look at them and say, hey, we need your help on Easter Sunday morning. Would you come and serve with me? Who could you ask? to serve with you that would stop everything and say, boy, they need my help. And they'd show up. All right, you got your list? Okay, get, get it out. Would you please write five people's names that you could call to see, sit, or serve that don't know Jesus? And they would respond. Have you got it? Just a moment longer. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to ask you to bring these and put them on the altar because our staff is going to pray for the next four weeks. We're going to pray over these names and we're going to ask that God will allow the friendship that you've established, the relationship with them that you have, the needs that you've met in their life to come back to their memory and cause them to respond so that they will come and accept Jesus and hear the good news. You got it? I still see it. Some of you writing there. If you got it, come on right. Think of them. Five people that you won't just pray for. You'll actually invite you say, Steve, you do all this advertisement. I understand there's a place for just shotgun advertisement. But the plan is, the most effective plan of evangelism is for disciples to disciple. Have you got it? Will you stand with me this morning?
Father, you know our hearts, and our hearts are to, I, I, I know, I, I, I don't know everybody in the room, Father, but I know a lot of these folks, and I've spent time in many of their homes and in conversations, and I know that deep down, the sincere desire of our heart is to see people get saved. That's why week after week, we hold up a list of people on our hearts that don't know you, and we ask you to save them. Our heart is to see people saved. I have no doubts about that. And so, Father, this morning I pray that you would rattle us a little bit and make us rethink about our methods and how we do things, and, and, and you would encourage us this morning. I pray for each person in this room today that you would help us to become more aware of the relationships that you've given us. They're not just happenstance. It's not coincidence. It's not just because we like the same things. You've placed us in, each, in, this, in, in people's lives on an assignment. And I pray that you'd help us to recognize that. I pray that you would give us inroads by helping us build relationships beyond just surface-level relationships where we talk about sports or weather and never really get into each other's business. I pray that you would help us to go deeper in relationship. Father, may we recognize the needs of people's lives. May we become less consumed by our own needs and more aware of the needs of the people around us. And Father, we believe, I, I release this congregation under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, the authority that you've given them to meet the needs of people. Help us to meet the needs of people. And I pray that you give us the boldness to preach the gospel through our words and through our actions. And here as a church, may we become a place where the harvest is won by the multitudes, I pray in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray that as we have written these names down on our list, that, that we, would, we would be making a covenant with you, that we would do more than just pray. We would actually put feet to our prayer, and we would invite people to come and join us on Easter Sunday. We would ask them to sit with us, to see us, to serve with us, whatever it takes for us to get them here so that when they get here, they can hear about the fact that Jesus died for them, that he loves them, that there's eternal life available to them. Father, help us to see these people come into your kingdom. I pray you would do this in Jesus' name. Now, will you do this? Will you step out and bring your card? It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.